You're listening to the Jake and the Fat Man Podcast. This is how we do it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the next episode of the Jake and the Fat Man podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt the Fat Man Bowers, joined alongside my co-host, Jake Klum. we got another special guest with us here, Mr. Ron Waldron of East Star Livestock. Stay tuned. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are sitting down here with Mr. Ron Waldron from St. Paris, Ohio of East Star Livestock. How we doing, Ron? Oh, we're doing good, buddy. I'm still a walking contradiction of terms, as you can tell by my attire. I got a pair of bib overalls on and a pair of twisted X's on my feet, so we're ready to have a good time. And sometimes it's not all about style, it's about comfort. That's right, especially when you're over the hill like me. <laughs> I'm excited to, for today. Uh, one, uh, we just got done talking with Mr. Todd Woodruff, and I'd like to give him a special thanks for letting us record uh, here at the Woodruff Farm. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, get on over there, check them out. Farm to table. This is the definition by far to the extreme. Farm to table. Within, legit, within le- three miles. A legit operation, folks. Get on over there uh, and get on the Woodruff uh, website there. Order your food, your steaks, anything they've got on there. They've got all uh, an array of, of goodies for you to purchase. So get on over there. Uh, you just happen to be good friends with. Yeah, uh, me, me and Todd are pretty good buddies. Their their family is is huge within Champaign County. Of course, his, his great uncle, Merlin Woodruff, I mean, world-renowned auctioneer, did state fair for years, a lot of county fairs. But, uh, you know, Todd is huge support of agriculture, uh, Miss Courtney, that's here, kind of the organizer. We did a program this past June here with the Sheepman's Association through with the checkoff funds. Uh, we had 60 people here uh, put on. Nick Forrest came in with his wife, Kathy. We put on, you know, a meal for everybody, appetizers, different type way to cook lamb. Um, and, you know, we had Brady Campbell come over from OSU, talked about, you know, different markets and stuff. So had a beautiful night here. Uh, real supportive, didn't, didn't charge us a dime to put this deal on, minimal cost, so uh, just a super family uh, here in Champaign County. Yeah, Todd's definitely quite the visionary. They're working on a restaurant right now. They're, it's in construction in one of the buildings. Uh, the program that we just discussed on the previous podcast with the uh, New Beginnings 4-H program, um, just such an impact there. Folks, get over there, Woodruff Farms. Well, that brings us to today's new topic here. We're going to sit down here and talk with Ron. Ron is a dorper. White dorper, yeah. White dorper farmer. Yeah, don't mess it up. The white, white dorper. dorper. White dorper. Not that I'm not prejudiced or nothing like that. I just, <laughs> there's a story behind that. So, <laughs> Well, Jake, you know Ron. Yes, I do. Uh, I don't know. It's probably been six years ago. Six, Yeah, six, seven years ago. I went to... Uh, 
me and Sonder went down to Cookville, Tennessee with Mark Inbody and looking at sheep and looking to buy sheep, sold a couple. All of a sudden, Ron walks up to me and says, uh, you live in northern Ohio, don't you? Yeah. He's like, well, can I get a ride home? Eric, Eric has to leave and go make hay, and if not, I have to leave. Well, sure. And it was a nice drive. We got to know each other a lot better. I always kind of laugh about it because only in the livestock industry do you just walk up to some random person that you just barely know where they live and ask for a ride. But that kind of describes Ron pretty well. well. It it was kind of a change of pace for me because usually I'm asking for a ride home from the clink or something like that. (laughs) Right. But the other thing, that that Route 127 out of Tennessee is one long, boring SOB. Yes, it's If you can figure a rural route out of that, then, then take it, so... Yep. We had a good ride home. We had some good conversation yeah. and it went pretty good. I was going to say, what is that about a five, six hour drive? Yeah, about yeah, six, six hours. It was, it was, I was glad because Sonder normally just sleeps. So I was glad to, especially being young when she was then. There were some things that uh, I still keep in my operation now, even that were not in the Dorpers per se, that uh, Ron kind of. Gave a little piece of advice throughout the the drive home and still use some of it, even with the club lambs. And very knowledgeable person, and that was one of the main reasons I wanted to bring him on here is great storyteller and very, very knowledgeable. You probably wish you had recording set up in the truck for that six hours, because I can about imagine. Yeah, just so I could go back and re-remember. Yeah, we had some pretty good. But, you know, the fortunate thing is, I'll be the first to I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I've been fortunate enough where I've had some great mentors in my life, you know, and I was smart enough to shut up and listen. And, you know, some guys we'll get into a little later that, that rewrote the book in, in multiple aspects of the livestock industry. So, you know, I kind of took what they learned and, and built on and try to kind of pass it forward, if you will. Okay, Ron, so that, that brings us to this portion of the podcast. Give us a little bit of your history, where you're from, where you grew up, and your introduction into the agricultural industry. Well, to be honest with you, I, I grew up in northwest Connecticut, a little town called Marbledale, and uh, it's a metropolis. By God, if you blink, you've gone through her. So m- my grandpa said we had all the essentials you need. We had the post office and the grocery store and a bar and a church. He said, other than that, you don't need anything else in the town. So uh, Was it all one building? Uh, almost <laughs> came close. It divided up to three. So yeah, they, they kind of, they kind of, the, the, the bar and church added on together. That, that was kind of crossing the line. Yeah. But it, that area at the time, to be honest with you, in 84, they did a census. There was more dairy cows than there were people. So that's where I, I kind of got my start in the dairy industry. I got my first job when I was 12. Uh, I went to work for white air farms, which was a nationally known Ayrshire herd, uh, in the area. Um, and kind of worked there when I was about 15, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I picked up a pair of clippers and said, these things feel pretty darn good in my hand. So, uh, that's where I really got involved in, in mostly dairy, but some beef cattle, uh, kind of started out slow building, uh, helping guys with classification with the dairy cattle and then going to shows, um, in just, but I was able to work on some really prestigious uh, dairy herds in that area. Um, 
So, and yeah, at the time I was fortunate, we were just coming out of the tail end of the investor credit days. So there was some really high end beef herds. Uh, uh, you had Ace Pold Herefords in New York at time, Todd Herman. Uh, yep. He was the herdsman there, a phenomenal cow man. Uh, you had Moles Hill, Cobble Pond, uh, big Angus herds, and just some high, high end Holstein herds. Phenomenal sales. I mean, it was a lot of rich people two hours from the city trying to protect their money through, you know, the investor credit deal. Um, so it, it was a cool time to see. I mean, the sales, it wasn't dualies at that time. It was town cars and Cadillacs that were, you know, filling the fields and, and had the great opportunity uh, of doing that and, and kind of living through that area, you know, towards Late 90s, me and my wife were milking cows, um, kind of had a deal. We had our own herd incorporated with the gentleman that owned the farm. Elderly gentleman got sick. You know how things go. Kids got a little greedy. Had to kind of put the kibosh and everything. In 2000, I came out to Ohio to be the herd manager for Top Acres Brown Swiss for Wayne and Connie Slyker in St. Paris. So, so I kind of got out here and short story so st paris graham the home of one of the best uh, wrestling programs you're going to find yep let's go back to your time in connecticut growing up there uh showing livestock when you were a kid yeah actually i started when i was about 12 13 i started showing the dairy cows uh and kind of fell in love with the crowd and the people and the, and the scenery you know, it was just kind of my fit you know plus i had a little wild hair going on too so i really enjoyed the nightlife as well to be honest with you but uh yeah that that's how uh, you know it it started for me um you know the, the showing side has been very instrumental in my life where i met a lot of cool people um i took one of the the hardest hits and learned from in life uh, out there we had the the showman a showman deal you know, and I, I was a big deal in the cattle. I mean, I knew my way around dairy cattle. I knew my way around beef cattle. And, man, I, you know, I thought I had this deal locked up. Showman the showman one year. And come to find out, I got beat by this dang sheep girl. <laughs> and I, I told myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that girl's life miserable till her dying day. So married her. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how, you know, that's how that deal went down. But, uh, no, it, it, it was different on the East Coast where, where dairy was the biggest portion of it. Um, you know, you had beef and then, then sheep. You really didn't see the market lambs like you saw in Ohio. Uh, basically, the market lamb class was, you know, whatever bucks didn't make it to, to go on the show road on the frame side. They got the snip. That, that was your market lamb. The biggest thing for us in the New England states, we really didn't have a state fair. So you had to qualify through your county 4-H fair. They had a selection committee, and then they would come and pick the state herd for beef, for dairy. So you had to get nominated to go to eastern states. That was your state fair. Mm. The other thing while you were there, and it's still that way, while you're on grounds, you stay in the dorms. Yeah. You don't stay in a hotel. You don't stay in a camper. And the big thing to this day is there is absolutely no parent or outside help. 
So that was the one thing out there that I, you had to learn how to fit. I think that's at an early age where getting a pair of clippers and being good at it, you could have other 4-H kids help, but there you could not hire a fitter to come in and help. And a lot of, still to this day, a lot of the 4-H programs, the kids have to do all the fitting out there. So I think in a lot, there, there's been, on the dairy and the beef side, there's been a lot of really good fitters come out of that region just because... 12, 13 years old, you you had a pair of clippers in your hands and you had to do the deal yourself. Right. I can remember uh, Dad telling me stories about staying in the dorms there at the Ohio State Fair Yeah, back in the day. And it, it was, it, you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we kind of had, you kind of knew the chaperones and you, you knew when the, the, the end sneak off point was to try <laughs> to get in there. You know, you're kind of hanging out with the big kids and the, and the beef and the sheep and the cattle barns and you kind of knew, well, I got, I can. Got a little wiggle room, about 10, 15 minutes. I'll try to get up back in the dorm. So that was that was my that was going to be my next question. If there was ever any wild times in the dorms there at the, oh yeah, <laughs> most of it. You know, Raymond Gushy is kind of a big deal now in the, in the beef industry. I think a lot of people you know seen or heard of Raymond, but his mom Diane was one of the chaperones. And there's been a couple nights where I get about halfway up the stairs, and next thing you know, I'm the nap and the neck getting dragged back down getting 20 questions like where you were so uh diane still kind of rubs that in my face and my kids and my granddaughter and you know your your grand your dad was a sneaky one so <laughs> the rest of the stories we'll kind of leave out there on the yeah phone. yeah for the imagination for the imagination but there, there may have been a night with with a hot tub hot tub display about two in the morning the security guards and but with <laughs> Like I said, we'll leave that for imagination. Oh, man. They're, that's the same way with our county fair growing up there in Ohio. Uh, Putnam County is where I grew up showing, and they had a swimming pool display up there. And, uh, yeah, we had some – there's some stories. I, I know where you're going. Yep, good times, good times. I wouldn't change growing up out there for anything. I, you know, I, I greatly love living in Ohio, but what we did out there and, and what I learned, and like I said, the mentors – that I had out on the East coast. Um, you know, some people talk about maybe rewriting a book or something, but the, the mentors I had out there, they were the guys that penned the first book, you know, some great cowmen and, and great sheepmen. Uh, you know, and I, I was very fortunate to marry into a family of one of the best, you know, there was in the frame sheet world. So, but it, it was just a cool setting. It was a cool time. I learned a lot um, and took a lot of, you know, my childhood and, and brought it out here, you know. Um, nothing to take away from my dad. I mean, my my dad you know, instilled a real hard work ethic in me. So between working hard and paying attention, it, it kind of helped me out. So. so is that the biggest difference you see between the East Coast and more here in the, uh, the Midwest? I guess there was more influence on, on the breeding side of things. You know, back in the day, it, it slowed down a little bit, but back in the day at Eastern States, even on the open show, I mean, if if you're ringing the bell or, or in the top three or four there, you were going to do the same at Louisville, you know. Um, there were some really high-powered flocks, I mean, that, you know, I had the opportunity to work with uh, even some of the cattle side of things. Oh, in the beef or the, the dairy, I mean, the dairy show at Eastern States was was off the hook. And most generally, those were the guys that were champions at World Dairy Expo also. So 
So you'd, you didn't, yeah, you'd, you'd have a steer show, you'd have a, a market lamp show, but it wasn't the, the caliber that, that you see in the Midwest. It, you know, it wasn't, you know, as promoted as much. It was more the, the breeding side of things. The, the, the popularity has grown in recent years uh, in that region. Uh, we've uh, kind of sent some market lambs out to people that want to show at Dutchess County Fair in New York. Super good show out there. Eastern State, some of the, the shows in, in Connecticut. Um, the other thing that was a little different, too, it was a lot of independent fairs. So just coming out of high school, like I had a trailer load of cattle. My wife had a trailer load of sheep. I mean, you know, and we would be gone every weekend to these shows. It wasn't like a jackpot. It was like a full-blown fair, you know, and it paid extremely well. So, I mean, you got a couple of, you know, late teen, early 20 kids living on Love and Bush Heavies and occasional fair burger right know, but we were making some bank i mean there's some weekends we we're pulling in 2400 bucks you know it, the dairy side if you ran junior and, and open show you know it's 50 bucks to win so it's 100 bucks an animal some days and even on the sheep side it was like 30 bucks so it, it was it was exciting times like i said I, I wouldn't change it for the world you know what we did out there it's just totally different it was an eye-opening experience when I got to Ohio, how things were. Totally different world. Back in the dairy side there, uh, did you run just one breed? Uh, I started with Ayrshire's, had Holsteins for a little bit, just breeding heifers. Did fairly well, but, you know, I kind of had to do it old school, get in the truck and, and run around and, and try to. I couldn't afford to buy at sales and stuff and hopefully kick one out. And then... Uh, Got running with a, a guy out there with Brown Swiss. He hired me to fit, and I kind of fell in love with the Swiss. Uh, and then we started our own Brown Swiss herd. Um, had uh, an undefeated uh, All-American in 98. That's what got me into going to Top Acres. Originally, when things went bust there in Connecticut, let's go to the Hordes Dairyman Farm and manage that. And then Mr. Slyker, he didn't contact me. He contacted my wife. <laughs> She came down to the barn, and I misunderstood her, and she's like, I thought she said, I'm not going to Wisconsin. And I'm like, well, ain't this just great? I got to sell my damn cows. I'm losing my wife, blah, blah. She said, no. I said, we are not going to Wisconsin. We are going to Ohio. So Wayne kind of threw a pretty good deal out. So, you know, we, we, we went, moved out there, got to bring some of our cows. Wayne is the man that wrote and rewrote the Brown Swiss book. He, he is the Alpha and Omega. Uh, and his wife, Connie, I don't think there's anybody in the industry that's raised more All-Americans and great ones from a calf than Connie Slyker. They're just phenomenal people. And and I learned so much from that, even, even in the dairy industry, that I took into our own flock as far as management, but mostly the, the advertising and, and breeding side of things. And where's that farm located? St. Paris. St. Paris. Yep. Okay. And you can go back in the 70s, and, and Wayne was the power player. And we knew going out that eventually he was going to disperse. Uh, when that sale hit, I believe we set five breed records that day. Wow. We had the dispersal. About what year was that? Uh, that had been 06, 07, something. Okay. Like that. 
Were your cows in that dispersal sale that no, you still had, or you'd not. been out previously? We, we kind of sold. It was kind of hard to focus on our herd and focus on Wayne's herd, and he had a game plan and basically said, this is what I want, go get it done, because he has a, a sale management company as well. So he was managing seven, eight, ten sales a year. Okay. And my job was, this is what I want you to do. So was going total destruction at World Dairy Expo, and and the other one was have the sale of all sales. So, like I said, Wayne Wayne's super intelligent, taught me a lot. Connie taught me a lot, so made some good connections. So your your cattle days came to an end. To be honest with you, I mean, I I'd been doing it since I was twelve, thirteen years old. You know, my kids were six, seven years old. Kind of wanted to be home. The dairy deal. You live there. You live there. You know, or you're not doing your job. Or you're not doing your job. And especially as prestigious as that herd was, you had to be there. Took a little break. Kind of did the nine to five deal. Um, kids kind of fell in love with goats. So I like the goats. I'm not a huge fan of them, but they're cute. But I never, I never had to tell my girls go to the barn and do chores. That's a plus. So that's why we kind of rolled with it. We started on the breeding side, and then we kind of, like we mentioned Lane Hollingsworth in the last deal, me and his dad were pretty good buddies, and we kind of saw the writing on the wall with the weather deal taking off. We were friends with Phil Grover. Um, of course, he was friends with my father-in-law, and kind of, you know, we were kind of right there with, with Flutter Johns and that whole group on, and when they started that Midwest Weather Goat series, you know. We were always running a bit behind because we started with the breeding style and trying to make weather style. I mean, it was two different worlds. So we were, you know, and if it wasn't for Hollingsworth, I mean, we wouldn't have done what we did. I mean, they were always extremely competitive at all the jackpot shows. Uh, Megan bred the champion weather dam one year at Ohio State Fair. So, you know, they were huge help with us. But then it got to the point they were kind of aging out, and you know, if you want to stay in, we'll do it. I mean, we're gonna have to throw a pile of money at this deal. And they're like, well, I don't. We want to focus on college, and so that kind of moved into the next chapter. Which you you speak of the next chapter, the White Dorpers. White Dorpers. You had seen them around. Well, it I that whole started oh, when I came out. That's where my father-in-law, and I, I, and I mentioned him a few times, a, a little background on him. Um, my father-in-law is a, a very intelligent man, especially on the breeding sheep side. And that's Dave Harmon? Dave Harmon. Yeah, he's in the, the National Dorset Hall of Fame. Started with Hampshire. Well, he started with South Downs as a kid in Wisconsin. Late teens, moved to Connecticut to manage Van Vleck Hampshire's. Uh, which was a huge breeding sheep at the time. I mean, him, uh, Schleister, um, a lot of the early predecessors, I mean, they, they were the high rollers. I learned a lot from him and the aspects that he would, at the time, go through all those big herds on the East Coast, these investor herds, and, and took ideas from their sales and incorporated it in the sheep sales. And before it it wasn't a big thing. You you just a couple people show up and you know there there wasn't that 
aura about him. There, there wasn't that cool factor. And Harmon brought that cool factor in. I mean, he, when they had the silver anniversary sale at Van Vleck, he actually had his ringman in silver tuxedos. Mm. And their advertising was they took, it looked like folded up $20 bills, and they'd go places, sales and stuff, and throw these, and everybody think, oh, man, I'm going to snap me up a 20 and open it up. But inside, it was an advertisement and had these silver coins made up. So he he took that cool, he was him and, and Schleisters and guys like that, when they had those sales out there, they put the cool factor in the sheep business. Wow. Long before it wasn't even thought about. So, and I mean, they had some some high-powered sales. Um you know, the other cool thing with him, like my oldest daughter, I mean, she's got his judge's badges from Chicago. Oh, wow. He's got every single, because he went to up to the last two, three years, you know, all his badges from Louisville. So my daughter's got the complete collection, the shadow box. Other, other than, you know, I, you know, I married his daughter. I mean, there, there was kind of a whole, you know, <laughs> it was a package deal. I'll, yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. It was a package deal. You know, I got, I got the girl and the man, the myth, the legend, and all one deal. So. Jake and I talk often on here that we, him and I both outkicked our coverage with our wives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, the biggest thing, my wife's very smart, came from royalty, and, I mean, for a woman to put up with my sorry ass for 30 years, I mean, she's tough. Oh, yeah. She's tough as nails. And all, be, all because she beat you in showmanship. All because she beat me in the showmanship. I mean, she even went through my wild child days. And I mean, I was I was wild. Harmon, he he was a big influence in my life. We had two different type of sheep. Maybe our management practices didn't jive, but it it means a lot when when we do certain things. He's not a very emotional man, but he'll say stuff, and it's just like it's a gut punch. It's like said so you talk about this investor credit there on the east coast and the cattle farms could you explain that program a little bit so basically it it, it was it was countrywide but okay. uh, during the carter administration um there was a tax program so if you invested in agriculture in some form or manner it, it was it worked with your accountant you could write off a lot of money a lot of it was funny money, if you will. But at that time, some of these sales, I mean, it was just obscene what they were paying for some of these animals. Um, you know, some of them were real shitheads and they're bringing some bucks. You know, at, at that time, Ace, Ace Polt Herefords had nothing against them. They had phenomenal cattle, but I mean, they had the first million dollar sale. Roast over a million bucks. That's probably because of Todd Herman. Probably. No, Todd, <laughs> Todd's a hell of a cow man. Yes, he is. Phenomenal I'm just revving him a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, but it was in that valley. You know, it was close to New York City. The other people didn't realize within that Hudson Valley was, you know, a lot of the big time herds were there because there's fog in that valley every single morning. When you get the fog on them, it grows hair. You know, and that was at the start of the hair deal. Uh, and you know, I, I, a lot of people on the cattle side will say this will never happen, but it was actually at Chicago that this whole thing of blocking and fitting cattle was 
cattle guy going over having a few beers with a sheep guy and <laughs> saying, hey, bring them 13 tooths over here. Let's see what we can do on this shorthorn steer. And a lot of that started there, and they actually pulled hair with wool cards and got it up. And, yeah, so a lot, a lot of them said, oh, that never happened. Yeah, BS, it, it happened. So you know, one of the guys that was over there with the set of 13s carving out this steer. So because they came over, it's like, man, we these sheep are all blocky and looking good, and wish we can kind of do a little bit more on these cattle, and let's go give it a try. So, Well, and the crazy part about that is is – with the blocking and stuff, uh, you could there. There's a whole industry now, just for that whole industry. Well, you know the fitting. You know, people. I'm a history buff. So if you look back on history, there, there's key moments, especially in the livestock side, that just totally change things. You know, whether it's a correlation between people of different species or anything like that. Um, you know, learn, learn from the history, you know, and and that's kind of I, I, like I said, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but but I I I follow what different major players, whether it be horses or cattle or, or sheep or anything, kind of followed what they did and, and researched and studied, and it's like, okay, why did they make such an impact? What what did they do? And you know, we kind of talked about this on a ride home from Tennessee, right. Right. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to look back on history and see what the game changers did. Well, and, and implement that into your own management. You know, just like I said, with my father-in-law. I mean, he he put the splash in the sales. Nobody was doing it. And he saw what these guys were doing at these beef and dairy sales, and it's like, this is pretty cool. Time to put the wow factor in this deal. Uh, jumping there to the tax credit. Now you have investors in modern day into the livestock and that seems to be a driving force on some of the prices we see really you know it's kind of funny to hear about that the government started all of it oh yeah you know and now it's a place where it can be maximized a little bit well and it kind of it kind of started if you go back in history with, with with the gentleman farmers there was always a prestige among the true wealthy to, to own livestock, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be beef cattle, dairy cattle. I mean, you can go through, in my area, the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts. I mean, they all owned livestock. You know, even when you get out in this area, there's there's old money families that own livestock. So yep. you know, it, it's always been kind of the cool thing to do. little side deal here. I kind of helped a guy by the name of Ed Duncan. Maybe some old-time cattle guys that listen to this will say, oh, good Lord. Ed managed Apple Creek Empire. Apple Creek Empire was 15 minutes for me. He used to go up there and help when I could. Nothing major. But at Apple Creek Empire, that was also the start of Tennessee River Music Farm. Andy Owens from Alabama. Okay. Teddy Gentry. So they first bought in. They had cattle there at Apple Creek um, and then it just kind of evolved to Randy's, uh, Angus and Herefords and Teddy had ended up with Red Angus. So basically it's Randy's daughter now, Randy Owen's daughter now that runs the deal and, uh, smart cow woman. But, uh, it's funny how people say, oh, this is kind of cool. Let's get in. And some of them remain big time players in there. 
there's I forget who the breeder is out west, but every year they'll be well. This is a half sib to a John Smith's kid, Oklahoma State, and then uh, is it Gundy, the football coach there, Oklahoma State. Yep. There's there's a one gentleman that sells lambs to his kids. Well, it's not coincidence that those you know those coaches at big time program have their kids in 4-H. Oh yeah. Well, and it know, teaches and them it, work ethics and responsibility yes. and yeah, good program. That's the closest thing to sports that's going to uh, teach your kid responsibility, discipline. You know all the things we talked about with Todd earlier. It the only. Downside, I mean, not to get off that that I see. You have a lot of parents that kind of live vicariously through their kids that I don't mm-hmm. I don't really like, and I'll, I'll say it, and I'm I'm gonna get mf till I'm blue in the face on this. Well, I don't mm-hmm. disagree with you. To those parents, and I see it a lot. Let them write their own book, and if you're if they're doing it, and and, and your kids had more success than you, give them kudos. Because they've already won up you. The biggest thing that I like to see where, yeah, my kids were involved and stuff. But the, the big prize out of this deal, now I have a granddaughter that's <laughs> in this. And she thinks she runs the joint. She doesn't? Uh, she probably does. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody laughs because I went through, you know, a college-age girl, my, my youngest, that when we got in the Dorper deal and, Everything was named after alcohol. Yep. And now we have sheep named after Disney Pixar characters. <laughs> yeah, I feel our, our main stud ram is Bing Bong, and everybody knows the Bing Bongs. Yeah. And you know, so yeah. And but uh, that that's the big thing. Make it a family thing. Don't push them. Don't criticize them. You know, that's Louisville to us is the whole family goes down. Yeah, it's a national show, but my granddaughter's four. She goes in the ring. Just how it is. Yep. And things old enough to hold the head, old enough to show. Yeah. You know, she loves every minute of it. But far too often, I see that you know, I see a lot of kids crying ringside and parents screaming at them, and it's just like, what did you do? You know, you're you're don't live through your kids. You know, kids are writing their own book. Sorry, you couldn't. But that's the only sad thing that I see in the industry. My biggest concern is you see it a lot. At 18, I'm out. Yep. So my my thing is maybe maybe you may not grab the brass ring at your county fair or something, but in the long run, let's keep these kids interested in animal agriculture. Let's keep a good, solid family unit. Let's keep generations coming back doing it. I'm not saying don't push your kids. It, you you got to push them, right? You know, you got to be strict on them, but don't don't make it so it's such a bad experience that they don't want anything to do with it. And let them find their own deal. I mean, <clears throat> like I said, uh, goats was not my first selection, but the girls loved it, you know, yeah. and they were comfortable with it, and they liked the crowd. And I mean, my youngest, there's one year we were in four different barns. Yeah, at the county fair, and I mean, I was exhausted, but you know, she had to go and 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 try everything, you know, and and well, even even with myself, I mean, I've I'm not, I'm not patting my back, but I mean, I, I've achieved a lot of good things, and and I've been to a lot of great places. I mean, I've hit 
every major agricultural livestock exposition throughout the United States and Canada. I mean, I've been there. Um, <clears throat> I have my favorites, some I don't like so much, but, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to write my book, and I, and I kind of wanted my kids to do the same thing, you know. Write, the, write their own book. Write their own book. Met, met my oldest daughter, Megan, very intelligent young woman. I mean, it's like blows me out of the water. She's actually the uh, assistant treasurer for the local school system here. Um, but Jessica, she kind of, that was a little bit more her click. Uh, she's kind of got a little photography thing going on the side. You see JW uh, Photography. Um, she actually did a cool thing at the county fair, kind of worked with me, and I was her sponsor. But she went through all the sheep shows and did it like a professional photo shoot because we knew parents were so involved helping kids getting back and forth to the ring and stuff like that, that we got to do, do something cool for these kids. You know, nobody's getting good the, the moments, you know, and she caught those moments. She caught the handshakes and she caught the hugs and tears. And, you know, so, I mean, that, that's where her deal is kind of in the livestock thing. She does help a lot at home. And you know, I, she, her, and my wife do all the showing. I, I'm, I'll, I'll work the pits. You guys go out and show her. My, I'm, I'm, I'm past that. But and they're uh, pretty damn good at it. Yeah, pretty damn good. Pretty, at I it. won't tell them they get big heads. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they are. You know, and it's just uh, when they're on their A game. You know, especially my wife. Uh, there's not a. I, I'd put her up against about anybody in the country. To hold ahead, and she's she, she can, showed a lot of champions at Louisville, um, in multiple breeds. So, um, you know, and, and Jess is right there, right along. But everybody knows their role. I, I'm back in the pens. I, I'll get I'll get them fed right, get them looking right. You ladies, go out and do your deal. So, just kind of click. But but anyhow, back on that, you know, with the parents is just. Let your kids love it, enjoy it, try to, you know, make it a generational thing. That's the only thing, you know, that that's what's cool for us. It, you know, I didn't have that. I was the first generation. I think it's really cool how you've provided the opportunities to your kids to be able to do what they want to do. You know, we, we originally met because of Dorpers. That's what I liked because of all the great things that Dorpers can do. But that wasn't what my kids wanted to do. So we kind of changed. Speaking of the Dorpers, how long have you had the White Dorpers? Uh, seven years now. Seven years. Yeah, we we kind of got out of the goats. We took a little break. And then it's just the way me and my wife are wired. We had to have livestock in our life. Mm-hmm. We have, we've got to go feed something. We, we've got to go in the barn. We, we've got to work on something so we can argue like hell and then make up for it that evening. (laughs) You know, know, we just, it's just how we're wired. And so we we had talked about it. um, And my wife said, well, I'm not going to be up all night long fitting sheep. Um, I, I, you know, the last couple of years I've cut way back. So, that took the fitting part out. We, we talked about maybe getting in the, the South Downs. 
we had a lot of good friends and it's just like it and with my personality i i you know i i don't go to win a class i go for the jugular when i show up so like eh, this might you know won't be good on the friendship side so for since about 2000 you know we got out here we've been doing a lot with riverwood so with there and and working with them and everything else we kind of rolled in and and I sat down with my my best buddy Eric Bruns and talked about the breed and oh, I do I I do have a little Jew in my pedigree and I need to make money on whatever I do and he said there there's money in this breed so that's we talked back and forth my wife loves white faced sheep so I mean it was a given we're going to get the white dorpers. The temperament was they're a little more docile. I kind of like the mothering ability a little bit more. So that's we bought actually bought our first one. It had been seven years this past Louisville. We got one. Had probably had maybe one or two many bush lattes and went they had a door for sale down there at Louisville. They'll get you. Yeah, and it's just like, ah, she ain't bring much money and Mr. Sailor caught me and ha! dropped the hammer at the same time. So that's how we got into the, the white dorper business. So where where was that one from? You Riverwood. Riverwood. Sixty one the sixty one ninety five and she's still in the flock. We call her the OG. The OG. You've got some ties to Riverwood. Yes, I do. Um so other than when they had the Charlets, I've worked every production sale that Riverwood's ever had. My, my, I kinda got in the door. My father in law worked there. Him and Ron Gunther, the the previous uh, farm manager, they were friends for forty years. So I got over there helping, and me and Eric Bruns, we just clicked. You know, it it just it's just one of those things that you know, it, we just clicked, and so that's where, you know, I helped with the Dorsets. I've I've helped with the low lines. I've gone to with the string to Denver. Uh, World Beef Expo, worked with all the, the Dorpers, all the production sales. So that's how we just kind of got in the deal. Did your father-in-law work there? My father-in-law worked there. Yeah, we moved out here in 2000, and then he moved from Mithoffer Dorsers in Indiana to Riverwood in 2001. So it was his retirement job. He was just going to go there and be his be the flunky, as he said, but... Eric said, you're in charge of the show barn. This is and all those big time dorsets. I had the opportunity to, you know, to work around them and go to Sedalia, Louisville, you know. Well, and at that time, uh Riverwood was on the rise or at the top. They, they were the- almost at it and honestly, you know, we kinda had a, a talk before the Dorset dispersal. And Jim Klingbill, people who don't know, Jim Klingbill owns Riverwood. Big Jim. Big Jim. Big Jim's filthy rich. I'll, I'll bring it out. Crazy. Crazy rich. But Big Jim is self-made money. He's a hardworking man, but it's not like a, a rich dude that owns a farm. Jim Klingbill knows livestock. Right. Really good. And he was one of the forefront guys on bringing dorpers in the We'll get into that story later, maybe. But anyhow, 
you know, Big Jim was over there, and they're they're talking about the Dorsets. And my father-in-law went through the sale catalog, the, the national sale, a couple years before that. And he said, he was telling me about it, and he's like, they have nowhere to go. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, there was 200 and some odd head in the national Dorset sale that year. Every single one of those sheep, but seven, went back to one Riverwood U. Hmm. I, I I know, but it, it's just like okay, if you want if you wanted an outcross, where were you gonna go? And then I was over there visiting, and me and Jim were talking. I was like, so what do you go, what are you gonna do? Where, you know what? Where else are you gonna go? You got crates full of banners. Said so you walk in the hallway, and it's nothing but best consignment. From Sedalia and where are you gonna go? Premier exhibitors, Premier exhibitors, and, and yeah. yeah. So it's just like they own that deal. Oh yeah, they own the deal. Anything they got into, you know. A lot of people, you know, the only thing that really didn't take off when they had the suffix there. Bill Schultz up in Degraff bought the suffix. Had Polypays at one time. Rolled in, dominated that. Um, the, the the Tunis, you know, we got the. Eric's dad had Tunis, and uh, JB had some some dang good Tunis up there. And we got farting around with them, and then Eric said, well, we're going to get some Tunis at Riverwood. And when we first started, it was cool. You know, I was helping them. You know, we'd pull out a little string. We'd dominate, you know. Well, then he's, you know, he got Spildies and Shambo and, and people like that. It's like, hey, we're going to get in this deal hot and heavy. Well, that last year we had them. We got out, and I was like, "Brunzy, this is BS. We, we had to work at this deal. It what you know, <laughs> this ain't fun." It's that was cut, the that was the Tunis. Yeah, that was the Tunis. I was like, "This is cutting into our beer time. This is we got to do something different here." So we, we, we've got some big Tunis breeders up our way. Oh yeah, yeah, Claimans. Yep. Uh, uh, be uh, Nice. Yep. And then uh, now, uh, uh, Matt Mag Mag. Yep. Yep. Probably the biggest all Putnam it, County it's, people. It's probably the biggest Tunis Junior Fair exhibit of anywhere I know. So it was you know, one one of those things, and <clears throat> he ended up talking to uh, Arlen Spildy. Came back, he goes, "You're right; these things are too much work. I just sold them." <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of the Tunis flock with Riverwood. So. Talked him right into that. Didn't you? Well, Arlen was kind of kicking around the idea for a little yeah. while there, so. Uh, but, you know, I always teased him. I, it was a good breed to work with. Nothing around. But I always teased him. I said, you know, it, uh, a singular, if you own one, you had a tunai. <laughs> if you, you own two, you had tunas. And if you own three, you had too many. So, <laughs> but like I said, I mean, it, it was a good breed. It, it was fun while it lasted there. We always joked with the Tunis because the Claimans, they're all redheaded. Yeah. You know, they, so they had to have the redheaded sheep. Yeah. I used to call them Jamaican suffix, and I'd really get those guys, <laughs> get those guys wound up. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I had a lot of good time, even with the low line deal, uh, running with those strings. I mean, and we'd roll into Denver, and it was like game over. I mean, just roll out of there with all kinds of banners and stuff. Uh, I was more or less the the flunky fitter and stuff like that, and you know, kind of working with with Eric and stuff. So you bring up Riverwood bringing in the Dorpers. That was the first time that I had heard of Dorpers. 
I was at uh, one of my buddy's houses, and his grandpa was telling me how Riverwood Farms right here in Ohio is bringing in the sheep that's going to change the whole country. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, you didn't have phones that had internet on them at the time. He's like, just wait, let me go and get the magazine. I'm going to show you what they look like. He said, Riverwood Farms is going to ha- have them right here in Ohio. We're going to, it's going to change things. And he was right. I mean, from a production standpoint, it changed a lot of things yeah. in the country. But uh, would you explain a little bit from your point of view, the uh, importation of them and start of them there with Riverwood and, and how it got into your farm? How the how the story goes, and this is a fact. Big Jim used to take his family on safari to South Africa on holidays. He owned a place over there. Jim Kling built Riverwood. Well, Jim's words: I had enough of the family shit one day, and I had to take a ride. <laughs> so he gets in. It gets in, and him and his wife are traveling the countryside, and he sees a sign for an auction, farm auction. He's like, "Well, yeah, but." I like auctions. So he rolls in on this place in South Africa, and it was a Dorper sheep sale. Jim had a really good buddy. His, his, his banker was out in Oregon. They called Jim Harper and said, hey, I've seen these things. They're pretty cool. We need to get them here stateside. And they, there'd been trickles of them. Uh, a lot of the first importations actually went into Canada and then down into the States. But, yeah, that, that's how things kind of got rolling. Then one or two years later, they were going to have a sale at Sedalia, and everybody laughed at them until they started bringing the money that they did. I think how industry-wise, number one, because they're hair-shedding sheep, it's the same thing as the the Katahdins. You, you took that whole area out of trying to get somebody in there to shear, trying to get good money for your wool. You took that aspect out. I think the biggest thing, as you see it now, is with our – ethnic markets at that roaster lamb market yep. we, we really fit that demographic right there in easter yeah and in, in, in our flock that was one of the things other than the the phenotype that we wanted i wanted to be right around 60 pounds at 60 days so these things are coming right off the you going to town and making money Still milk on their on their lips. Yes, yeah, st- yeah. Right, right, right to the yeah, consumer. They're just as wet as you can get them, and they're going right into that. I'm going to bring up. Uh, you brought up about the banker in Oregon. Was that Broadmead? It was Broadmead. Okay, because the two names in Dorpers that you heard of was Riverwood and Broadmead, just from my little area. But the collaboration that those two firms did really propelled the breed in my opinion well and you had two power sources with riverwood you had ron gunther and eric Bruns. right yep. okay on the broadmead side you had the billy wade and i call him that just out of yep. respect yep. Good, but you had billy wade and antonio warris uh antonio is a hidden treasure in antonio my opinion is a hidden tre- and and little backstory Everybody says, well, you're the ultimate redneck. One of my best friends in the world is is a Mexican that started out as an illegal. Mm-hmm. Antonio grew up on a piss-poor hog farm, came into this country, 
full-blown hood rat in L.A., got his life together, made it to Oregon, phenomenal nurseryman, worked with the sheep a little bit. Harper said, here, you do this. You're good with it. And, and probably one of the smartest sheep minds that I ever knew. Yes. And, and the biggest, he, he learned to breed from the South Africans, so he had no bad habits to breed. That's all he knows is this breed. And, and he's a textbook, and that, but he knows how to see sheep. I mean, just what a wonderful mind he is. And, and it turned out that, I mean, he's he's one of my best buddies. Uh, he's just an awesome, awesome man. That that was kind of the, the, the power source. You know, they had the funding. They could bring the stuff in from Australia and stuff. Because of foot and mouth, you couldn't bring it direct in from South Africa, right. but you know th- they could get the better end genetics here, do the ET work, you know. We talk about the the background, the history a little bit of the Dorper breed or, you know, and when I say Dorpers, both the blackheads and the whiteheads, and there's some redheads out there too. Those things are pretty cool. Let's talk about your flock a little bit. I think when we was making that trip back up you had just recently purchased a big group of ewes from yucca lily they were they were i would say they were probably the southern tier you know you had riverwood in the i'll call ohio east yep and you then you had broadmead in the west and yucca lily was probably the southern powerhouse at the at the time yes you know and you started out with a group of ewes from them after your Bush Latte OGU. Yep. And then let's just talk about, you know, kind of how those sheep were made. Because you take them from Texas to Ohio. Terrain's a little different. Oh, yeah. Big different. So when we first, how that deal went down, um, Eric at Riverwood had gotten into Yucca Lily with, with the Dorpers and been, been wanting to get in there with the Whites. My buddy Antonio kind of snuck in there first. Pull the group out. Eric got an email and said, they're going to let us in. We can go down and gate cut a group. And I was like, I can't get away. I don't care what it costs me. Get your butt on a plane. You get to Texas. Figure it out later. Just get these sheep to Ohio. So Eric went down. He got 54 head out of the group, kind of a gate cut deal. Got him up here. He did a lot of the legwork. Riverwood got the first cut out of there, and then we just kind of went back and forth. Little different type of sheep, kind of going on pedigrees a little bit. We kind of picked out some shining stars of the group. We had what there was one old ewe we ended up calling her snake bite. She still had like scar tissue on her chest where a rattlesnake got her, had one ear half chewed off. Holy cow. And everybody's by, passing her by. My wife said, she's coming home with us. I'm like, what? She goes, something that damn ugly has got to have something good going to come out of her. She said, <laughs> it's it just, you know, and she was right. Probably our most productive set in, in high-selling group came out of that you. So once again, my wife was right. She she picked me. She picked right. <laughs> right <laughs> so, but I, that... We got them in October, and they were ranchy. I mean ranchy. So we kind of kept them locked in the barn, and we would slowly go into this pen, 
probably 20 by 20 by 15 pan. We'd go on one side and they'd bounce off the wall on the other. That that was going to be my question. Explain to some of our listeners what you mean by ranchy. Like like a lot of time you hear them about being western ewes. Yeah, western or ranchy means the only time they saw a human being was either they were getting poked with something or yep. something was getting cut off. Yep. Otherwise, it, it, even with our friends in Australia, they they don't know what jugs are. They lamb outside. They're 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 you know. And those sheep when we brought them up, I mean they lived on prickly pear and rattlesnake hide. And it was it was a kind of a fight or flight mentality, and more exactly. not with a sheep, it's flight. Yeah, Ex- exactly how God created it. Yeah. It, it was yeah. You you either had to be tough or you're going to get eaten. Survival mm-hmm. of the fittest. Yeah. So we got so we could get near these sheep. So th- and then came the big day. We we're going to try the pasture. And I <laughs> checked every inch of that high tensile fence. <laughs> added two extra strands, <clears throat> bigger box. I was, I was gonna, I, I, either they're going to get out or I'm lighting these bitches up because <laughs> I'm not chasing them halfway across Champaign County. So we let them out, and those ewes darted. I mean, dead run for about 100 feet, came to a dead stop, and saw all this green stuff underneath their feet <laughs> that they've never seen. They put their heads down, and I don't think they picked them up for three days. I mean, there was ewes laying down, eating the grass all around them. Oh, man. Yeah. Moaning. Uh, yeah. Just I, never seen grass. Never seen grass. Like that. That's they, like, I mean, that's like the fat man at Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't know what it was. So we got them through that. And then it was about Louisville time. We got our first cold snap. And I mean, for us, it wasn't bad. 35. Man, I went in the barns and them ewes were hunkered up, shivering like they're shitting razor blades. I mean, just they're just like turn the heat on. Like, what is this? Yeah, the first winter was hell. But once we got them through that and then started getting some lambs on the ground, but then the old cattle guy and what was beating me as a kid and stuff came out. And and I sat there and me and my wife went through and we said, okay. We started looking at you families and said, okay, we're kind of known as a correlation with these families here can do this, and this is the type of sheep that we're throwing. These are kind of doing this. This group here needs their heads cut off. We figured that out, what you families worked, what they were throwing, and then we said, okay, son from this you family's going on this line here. Right. And that, that's the old cattle guy, you know, and it was, it was beating me as a kid, the blood's in the bottom line. And that's how we started to build on. We, until we bought Tonio a couple of years ago, we, we used our own rams. We, we made our own rams, kind of built the flock up that way. I, the, actually, the first year, I take that back, we used, we leased two Riverwood bucks, um, one of them, Eric's like, well, this one's got all the flashy show. I said, yeah, but I said, that buck there, I did a little research, you know, about 41% of your stud use go back to him. Buck I want to use. I needed to build females. I needed to build a flock. So you talk about using your own rams there. 
for the most part. Uh, that's something that I've always admired about your place is you started with a pretty good set of U's, you know. Talk us through a little bit how you, you, you had the ones that were lambing out this way and then lambing out the other way, another group. So did you keep a, a ram from one side of it and a ram from the other side of it and then intertwine them and keep intertwining them to bring them together then? Yeah. is that Was that the thought process? Or talk us through that a little bit. I kind of stacked my bottom side is what I did. Okay. Most generally where, where you see it in, in the, 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 you know, the market side of things. Yep. Where it, you look at the, the, the beef cattle and, and it'll be generations of, you know, this bull and the clone of this bull and, you know. Yep. I did the opposite. I, I found my four or five ewes that, number one, I could breed to an oak stump then still made it a good lamb. Were productive. The lamb vigor was there. The daughters milked, and then so I was like, okay, I know the good attributes of this U line. I know the attributes of this U line. So then I'm going to take a son out of this, complement this line, and out of that, complement that. Yeah, and it just kept complementing the female lines with different sons to where we are now. Well, you've got them DNA lines intertwined with each other. And, it, and it's the same thing on the horses. I mean, it was always the bloods in the mare. And it's the same thing on the old, the cattle side where I grew up in, right or wrong or indifferent, this is just how I was taught by my mentors. And, you know, go back to Top Acres. I mean, Wayne, Wayne Slyker bought the, the Snowstorm family. And he just kept bringing bulls in from other great female lines and to this day, there's never, ever going to be a cow family that's produced more All-Americans than the snowstorms. That's all they kept doing. It's like, okay, here's a son out of this female line. That you know, The base was there. You just brought the male in to take off the rough edges. If you go back, even on the market side, and I'm sincere about this, a lot of times... Number one, you don't see it, not to get off track, but I, I'm not a big fan of, of the online deal. Yes, it's a good way to market animals, but get in your truck a car and go look at sheep. Oh, yeah. Go look at their flocks. But if you go look at people like Slack or Troyer or Wallen, and you go in there and you look at their female base, their cookie cutter, their consistent, and... By doing that, I think these guys were year in, year out, everybody gets mad. Man, they were always sending good ones. But when you have those really strong female lines, you've taken that oh shit situation right out of it. Yeah. You can bring an outside ram in, but you your your true type model, your base, your, your transmitting ability is there. You're just sure. putting a splash of extreme on the deal. That's what was beat into me as a kid, and that's how we would kind of run our flock. You know, your rams get the the kind of all the glory. Yeah, but the females are where that's what makes it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, case of, it's even like that would in life. Okay. Yeah. I have two beautiful daughters. They sure as hell didn't get it from me. You I guys know, are looking sitting, at me, I'm right? I'm sitting across you're, the you're table from you. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're probably thinking, man, his wife must be a smoke show then, but. <laughs> Yes, but it, that's besides the point. But no, it, it's 
You know, that that's well, just, at and the, it's different than a lot of people think. And I tell them my theories on this, and they're like, man, you're, you're nuts. But it, it just, oh. it works. It's a managed practice that works for me. Now, I'll hit on two things here real quick with, you know, coming back to our drive back from Tennessee. This was something that Ron talked about extensively, probably an hour and a half about getting that U base and then keeping that good U family and just lightly swerving with a different ram that way you weren't making a dramatic swings he was always making sheep that he liked because he stayed on that line kind of like an apex yeah i mean he just kind of and then lightly made variations off of it and he was able to do it you know past tense now able to do it with his uh own breeding and that was that's one of the pieces that I took from him is I you know anybody that knows me knows that I like the Bravo line well I really like the Hurlman 1060 which is Bravo's mom right you know that's that that's that's who I look for it doesn't have to be a Bravo sheep but I really prefer even if it's out of Bravo's mom to be able to line up what what I have, and that was a piece of advice that I've stuck with, you know, pretty hardcore. There can be a great one, but if it doesn't fall in that line, I don't buy it. I mean, eventually you got to get some kind of outcross. Yeah, there. and we've, yeah. Done, we've done that, but but that's why I mean, get in your car and look. So our last Ram that we bought, <clears throat> we bought in with Billy Wade, but I loved the U-line that he was out of. That that's you know even when we go to look for something of female, and and it's practical. If you walk in, e- even if you're looking for a, a, a ram for a club lamb deal, you walk in and say, "Man, he's cool. Man, he's a hot." Or even a female, man, she's a hot shot. She's awesome. Okay, where's the siblings? Yeah, she's a freak of the flush. She's a is she or the she, freak of the deal? Yep. Now, if if they say, oh, well, here's mom and here's grandma and here's cousin and here's sister and, well, how much I wanted it? Oh, 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 uh-uh. If they're no touchy, yeah. Go ahead and buy her. Yeah. Because yeah. the transmitting ability is there. Or so, ugly sister. Or ugly sister. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of an ugly sister kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, not when it comes to my wife, but uh, when it comes to buying sheep. Yeah, you... You we love you, Joey. You've yeah. outkicked your coverage. Buddy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. You know, that that the ugly sister to the pretty one sometimes can be about a half price, you know, difference. But the transmitting but, ability. But, but you there. still have that same genetics right there. And I've lucked out on a couple of them that way. And those sometimes those are the only ones you can sneak out of there. Yeah. I mean, I can't write big checks. No, until I, this podcast thing takes off. Oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah. we're yeah. big time. We got Ron Waldron on here with us. We're making it. Yeah, like I said, it, it. We have things that my wife and I do that a lot of people. What? Why in the hell do you do that? But it just works for us. We have to sell sheep. Yeah, and the sheep have to pay for themselves. The sheep have to. Well, and plus, you know, I, right. I just, and make and time. Is, and this is my retirement program. And and so, I hate to say we're we're, we're kind of middle in the road. We're not pushing. We do okay at the shows, 
we we sell good. We're getting Rams in performance. We're you know seed stock, but you know one of my biggest mentors he said you know life is like backing up to a grandfather clock. He said if you lean to one side or the other, the pendulum's going to only hit you in the ass once. But he said if you if you stay right in the middle, that hit thing's going to swing and hit you in the ass twice. That's where nice. you know we we kind of came up and said we're going to perfect moderation. Just kind of roll with it. Backing up to a father clock was something that he told me on that trip too. Really? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had a recording of that trip because I wish Sandra had stayed awake. Yeah, she probably would have remembered a little better. Now, don't give me that crap because you got home. Your wife said they had to put you on suicide watch. For you. <laughs> <laughs> like that dude's nuts. <laughs> We haven't even opened up a couple of the questions that we, our good buddy Andy Kennedy. This, this is going to be a long. This is going to be a longer episode. Folks. Yeah, you got a lot to edit, it, so it's, it's, it's well, there. Ain't, there ain't a lot here to edit. Let good. me know what else you got there. This is all good. I mean, this is going to be a longer episode, folks. If you don't get through it in one shot, pick it back up, and come back in because we're running. We're an hour and twenty minutes in. Uh, this might be a two-hour deal. All I know is what time does Crables close? Because we got to get to Crables. I don't know. <laughs> I, man, I, I, nothing against Crables, but at my age, I, yeah, I don't, I don't do that because I, I figure out how fast I can go from the barn to the house. <laughs> I had fun Ruckers yeah. last night for the no, first frickers, time. Frickers, frickers, frickers. I had Frickers for the first time last night, and it's been a kind of a screen door and not hitting a wire kind of day. Yeah, I, uh, Last time I did any courageous, I get in the uh, case of White Castles and a, a twelve or Bud Heavies, and I and tell I, you what, ooh, that's what this old fat boy can run when the pressure's on. I tell you that. Well, well with me, it's run a little bit, stop, clinch. <laughs> yeah, clinch. The contractions go away. Run a little bit further. Yeah, yeah. my kids laugh their ass off every time. It's like. You little shits, it ain't funny. Yeah, you, you learn how to do Kegel exercises oh, yeah. real fast. When you... <laughs> oh goodness! So I, I I tried to explain it to him. We got a place up there in our area called QP. It's it's good good hamburger joint, and it's only local to our area. And I tried to explain to him what a high class Wendy's. Okay, that's where hey, that's hey. where that's where Dave Thomas got his idea of Wendy. Harry Shut, the owner of QP. And Dave, whatever Dave's last name, Thomas, Thomas, were marketing, talking together, whatever. And Harry wanted to stay local. Dave Thomas wanted to be big, big time. And and that's the difference. And that's that's where that's where Wendy's kind of the idea for Wendy's because when uh, Dave Thomas used to work for KFC, yep. um. They went out and started Wendy's. Well, this is where the idea Wendy's came from was from from our local area called QP. And if you're not, if you're ever coming through Northwest Ohio around Lima, stop get you QP. You won't regret it. The only place you can get them. The best way I can explain what Crables is is a cross between White Castle and QP. Good stuff. It it ain't a very big place. No, no, it's it's a little shack, and I mean half the time there you can't even get in there. I mean, just huge response. I told Jake, I said, "You're gonna, we're gonna eat there. You're gonna love it. We're gonna start our own branch up there, kind of in uh, Allen County, and we're gonna call it Jake and the Fat Man's Fat Man." So, uh, 
<laughs> way off topic. Yeah, no. That's all right. Way off yeah, topic. We can leave that banner in there. Uh, so one of the questions that our good buddy Andy had was, what do you see as the biggest issue in the show sheep world regarding, in regards to just the sheep in the industry as a whole? And I'll narrow that down a little bit. I'll put it into three spectrums. What do you see as the biggest challenge with the breeding sheep, the show breeding sheep? Biggest challenge with the club lamb thing. And then the biggest challenge with the commercial side of it. Well, I think the biggest thing we'll start off with on the show side of things. Um, you may or may not heard about this <clears throat> on the suffix within their organization. There's a push at any national show or national sale. They have to be naked. They want them sheared down. That you know that so that deal's kind of coming. <clears throat> Once I said me, me and my good buddy Eric Bruns, we, we we talked about this. The new nothing against people. Coming into the breed, I don't want them to take this the wrong way, but, but the demographic has changed. The old school guys like myself that would stay up to 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, hardening, hand-blading sheep, there's not too many of us that want to do it anymore. So that's part of it. The other problem is, too, there might be kids that want to learn how to do it, but there's not people out there that are willing to take the time teach them so i have nothing against that deal you know um but they're gonna have to teach these people how to do it because my days of running 80 something head across the trimming stands in louisville they're done i i I don't want to do that there seems to be about maybe one maybe two groups that well still have that line going where they're Fitting, carding, everything right in a row, and you still have the you know the the spildy group, you know, and, and you got spildies and and, and Riley Donkers and, and stuff are in that group. Dylan Nonner, a dear friend of mine from South Dakota, I mean, he he'll still bring on a pile of them. I was thinking of Kaiken dolls. Kike, well, that, that, Kevin, and, and it's been a couple years yeah, since Kevin's I, retired. So okay. Sarah. It is still kind of involved, Catherine, not like he used to. Craig Fleck, you know, I was talking to him and his wife that, you know, their days, you know. Um, There's not a lot of those people that you're mentioning that are. Cron, Cron used to bring a pile <laughs> of them out. And Old Dino. Dean, yeah, I, I tell you what, if you want somebody to put a shine on them, Old Dino can get it done. And, I mean, I don't care what they are. They're consistent, and, I mean, they're spot on. But he's done. So I think that's the biggest thing. The other thing is my father-in-law is going to hate this, but how big is too big? Hmm. No, I think we need to tone it down um, a little bit. Um, you know, And there was years. It was how long can we stretch that tape measure? That was the winner. So that that's the breeding side, whether whether fitted, slicked. The one the, the the two breeds that I see that are probably doing the best, and one of them does a better job than the other, but that 
that kind of facilitates the everything is the south downs. You you have your ground powder south downs, you have your middle of the road south downs, and then you have your little bit framier ones. But that pendulum isn't too gigantic. The only them. downside on that, and it's the same thing with the shrops. Yep, where they're going. As a judge, it, it's living hell. Been there, done what, that. What type do you like? Yeah, you have to pick a type and kind, yep. and you yep. have to run. And a lot of people, for for our junior college folks out there, when you get into a big show, I don't mean to pick on them, I'm going to pick on them. For you your JUCOs, listen up. When you get into a big show, you have to pick a type and kind. It's not like a contest where you take each class. You have to get a type and kind. Stick with it. Stick with it, because when you get in their final drive, if everything is uniform and consistent... You've done a good job. Not Well, people won't get mad at you. Because they, they followed you. They followed you. This guy likes this type. Now, when you get in a final drive, and it's like horseshit in Amish country all over the road, <laughs> that's when you get in trouble. Yep. That's when you get in trouble. I, wa- I watched the Junior Southdown show, a kid of... That shows in our group has a south down from Wallens, and she she was aged exactly what she was aged. Yeah, she was a midget out there amongst in her class. We was down there a little early for the class. It was the only breeding sheep that we had in our whole group, and I'm like, man, you're half the height of all these sheep. Well, we was a couple couple classes too early, and. Then it finally got to his class, and he's four inches shorter than everything in the class. He ended up being fourth in his class, being four inches shorter than the smallest one in his class. You talk about picking the same type and kind. That judge that day did not pick the big freaky one, did not pick the really long one. He liked, I'm going to say, ultra-moderate very functional sheep, a different judge, a different day. And he could have been the first one pulled out, you know, but just to highlight, you know, that's what it takes to be able to judge on the, on a bit on, on the big stage. You know, and like I'm going down in sort in Fort Worth this year. I'm doing the, really? the, the, really? national, the national junior corporate show, but then they called and said, Hey, you know, we, we had a lot of people throw your name and had to do the whole, the whole junior show. Ooh. So that's, that's the other side. Old RW is making it big, boys. Yeah. The other thing, too, on, on the now, breeding side, and I don't mean to pick on, on the, the junior kids, but I want to bring this point up now that we're here. Re- number one, respect the breed. By that, I mean know the breed standards. Mm-hmm. Know your stuff. Know your, they're all out there. The other problem I'm seeing with these young judges coming in, okay, they don't know anything about the wool breeds. Adam Helfelfinger that, that's in here now probably says his last name wrong, but he's a young gun coming in and judging, but he does a hell of a good job with the wool breeds. Yes. Hef, he yeah, he, he he does his homework. So if, if that's the one thing where, where they're coming in out of these colleges that they, they can play some more terminal-type sheep. They don't, You know, these people, these wool breeds, they are just as passionate as... If not more. If not more than I am with my dorpers or, yep. or with, with the club lambs and stuff. So learn about it. You know, my old buddy Tom Connor down, I spent a lot of time with Tom. That dude knows fleeces. 
and he's taught me a lot. I mean, the 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 Lane and Rambo show at Fort Worth, you know, it's a pretty yeah, big deal. That, that's a real big deal. And just trying to learn, so you know, have respect and 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 do that also. I'm telling you, JUCO kids, listen up. You know your market breeds. Take the time. Do due diligence. You learn your wool breeds. Learn your breeding sheep, and you'll never be out of work. Never be out. No, of work. no, never. because there's there's nothing more aggravating. And I can say this for you know the early days of the Dorper shown here in Ohio with the with the series that. There's nothing worse than getting buried in a class and then going to an All-American or the Louisville show and winning the whole show with a sheep that you got buried because the judge didn't know the breed and didn't respect the breed. Kind of got on a tangent there, which it's one that definitely needs hit on. One of the biggest challenges that you see in the club lamb. So the the biggest thing, I think, is is chasing trends. Um, and I and I see that a lot. And, I, and I've judged quite a few club lambs, mm-hmm. but that, that whole deal of <clears throat> chasing trends, extreme terminal on your females. I, I, I'm not a fan of that where you got these females that are really wide fronted, you know, could be a little better hipped. I, I, I'd like to see them, you know, a little deeper in that flank. You know, that's the biggest thing. I'm going to bring out the elephant in the closet. Do it. This is where you're going to get the hate email. I'm going to get uh, the hate email. We don't have an email, but it's all right. This whole shag thing drives me freaking <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Okay. Why would you put so much time and money on a part of a sheep that's going to end up in the rendering barrel? Because it's a show at the end of the day. That's part of the show. Well... It- that's, Here, that's here's the deal. Everybody says, "Well, it shows their bone." It horseshit. Bullshit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. And, and I'll tell you right now. If you need to know what the bone is on the sheep, you, with all that stuff, look at the jaw. If you got a big, powerful, strong jaw, they're going to have some bone in them. Right. It's a given. I, I judged the county fair, and I did. I had a woman came in, and she just went up one side. I mean, right down the other. You never said a single word about the shag of my my kid's lamb. And I'm like, well, you know, I bet you they'll float right to the top of the rendering barrel. I mean, they're just. <laughs> Till it gets wet yeah, and sinks. I, I, I don't, I don't get. The, the one thing I think we're, I think that the the, the, the midget gene is kind of calm things down to having Correct. these short ground pounders. We have to have. Some length of spine in these sheep. We have to have some marketability. Um, we have to have good function and form in athleticism. I mean, I, there's a lot of good ones there. You know, I, and you see it in the Dorsets too. You know, I I, I judged a uh, you know regional Dorset show over here, and uh, young lady bought some slick Dorsets out, and I mean those females were just flat good they had function they had form they can walk you know you talked about the breeding side that's one thing they kind of got away from is having good feet and legs underneath them and i'm i'm deaf on that they got to be able to move i think that's the biggest thing that i see where it maybe takes people out on, on the weather side is this trend chasing whether it's it's the type of sheep or you know you You'll get your flock going to, and we went through it with the goats. 
know, we got so all right, we're knocking on the door. Then you get some great brim dude with a pair of clippers said, No, this is cool now. And then you're throwing a pile of money back at it again. No, and then, or you get somebody said, okay, for this week, you know, you need to get this bag of foo-foo fairy dust to feed them and, and drench them with this brand of unicorn piss. And I mean, people are throwing a lot of money at things they don't need to. And, and the shag, and keep it simplistic. Just build good sheep. And, you know, the pushing of the extreme terminal on the weathers, yeah, they're cool that day, but you're going to want to keep his sister if it's a twin. Is she going to work, or are you going to work for her? And right. that that's the biggest thing that I see on, on, on the market side of stuff. Can you talk about your dorpers? Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it on this podcast, but when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that, you know, they can lay out on a pasture and have them all. Yeah, they just market lamb use. No, you got to pretty much be there for every one of them. And that that's you know that's the other aspect, and and that's why people get burned out. You know, you go in there, and we saw it in the goats. That, you know, we push for extreme market style goats, and it's just I hated, I despise kidding season because you're there trying to get the kids latched. You're you're like stay alive, and or you get a doe that just. What's that thing and take off and, and wouldn't, you know, acknowledge that there was a kid there. To- I know I pooped something out 30 seconds ago, but I don't. Yeah. I, I'm done old with old I, Keith I'm done. Sparks always told me, you want to test a man's patience? You want to see what kind of man a person is? Teach a lamb to nurse. Well, and that's why I don't do it because my wife does it. <laughs> Not that we have any, but if there's something there, I'm like, we had brown Swiss Brown Swiss cattle, like I said, and there's no dumber SOB in the face of the earth than a brown Swiss cab. She could get him to drink. Me, I'd be 10 minutes. I'm like, starve. I- I'm out. <laughs> I-, I don't need this. So but I think nothing. I, I, Chasing trends. Yeah, is... I don't. I'm not death on, on the market world. No, I'm you're involved. Not. I've got a lot of dear friends that are in the club land business. You know, me and John Schroer. We we talk and converse. I think the world of Larry Schroyer. Oh yeah, yeah. Larry is one cool cat. Something I, you didn't know about Larry is he is one of the foremost breeders on racing pigeons. Mm-hmm. We hit the the breed sheep. We hit the the market lamb industry. What about the commercial side? Because that's not you're not deaf on any of the spectrums of no. The we sheep we industry. sell a lot in the commercial side. The biggest thing that I want to complain about is the market, the American industry itself. We've started exporting rams into Canada. The, the plus side on that, we're, that we'll send rams up there. Those progeny, as soon as they hit the ground, they've got an EID tag in the rear. So there's traceability from the time they hit the ground to the time they're in the meat case. Just real quick, uh, the EID, that's the... the- Ear tag that you can scan and it tells you where it comes from. Is that a government induced or is that a uh, organization that the Canadians more government induced? Okay, okay. Because I mean, with with scrapey and and disease and it's a true traceability. That that kind of came up with on all livestock when Mad Cow hit and gotcha, gotcha. So. But the cool thing of it is, 
the, my producers that we sell rams to, they'll send me actual reports. I got birth weights. I've got 110, 120-day weights. I've got harvest weights. I've got loin eye scores. I've got leg scores. I've got intramuscular fat scores. Whether they're prime, choice, select, all that data is coming back to me. And I, and I think that's where we are in an American industry where we are so far behind the cattle and the hog industry in the United States. It, and there's so many traits that can be utilized from the packers and brought back to us to make, make better sheep in the commercial segment. The other thing that we're running into, I, I know people complain about the Australian lamb coming in and now with the present administration with everything coming in from the UK. But if you look, it's it's uniform. Programs that I've done with Nick and Kathy Forrest and stuff and, and working with food source providers and, and purveyors and stuff like that, what do you guys want? Consistency. There, there's no consistency of product. You know, my, my breeding side is going to get mad. If we've got a consistency of product, it, it's within the market lamb world because it's kind of a cookie cutter, right? What we're yep. looking type of deal, um, but I think we need more of that in, in, in the commercial side of things and making things more productive. You know? I think you're getting a little bit of consistency in pockets of the country. Yeah, you know, I know that there's a packer down in Texas that only kills the Dorpers. They, yeah, Capra's done that. They they've kind of gotten away from american they're starting to bring australian are they yeah okay just on a price point basis um but you know the other thing too with this the the whole ethnic market and that's where the dorpers really roll in is these wet lambs and stuff i mean it's just and that you know the the, my biggest as far as i'm going to say middle of the road cheap is the amish market and they're they're gobbling up females and rams. I don't know, hope. Not hope. Um, Shipsawana, the sale barn over there. You know they're starting to build in those Amish regions, and they're really buying. Went on a sheep tour. I don't know. It's probably been eight nine years ago that we went over to Holmes County, and a lot of those guys were running Dorset uh, Polypay type sheep. You know the old school Dorset. And I get over there a couple times a year. It's all hair sheep. Oh, yeah. They're all hair sheep. Well, you can't get anybody in there to shear. I mean, that's no, another art right. form that's going. Is, right. You know, we got a few guys, but you're not going to. You got your Wallens. Yeah. Wallen, Wyatt, Hildy. I mean. You got Wallens. You got Wyatt, Hildy. I mean, there's not many left out there to do it. So one of the, one of the other things, you know, because you are pretty in tune with all the different aspects of the sheep industry is there seems to be a divide between the breeding sheep and the club lamb industry, not only the types of sheep that we're picking, but almost the people. And, you know, you go down to Louisville and there's a wall between them. Well, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. It, you know, I, I try to get along with everybody and all species. I mean, I've, I've kind of covered most everything and, and I enjoy the fact that I can go to most any livestock function, whether it be cattle, sheep, hogs, or uh, there's somebody there I know and hang out and BS with. 
So that that's the disheartening thing for me on the sheep side. I think what what needs to happen and, and needs to realize is that yeah, maybe on the breeding sheep side there isn't that 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 cool factor. We're not we're not heavy into the swag or or anything like that. But let's have respect for one another on both sides, you know, and, and realize that the, the the breeding guys are just as passionate about what they're doing as the the you know the market land people or and, and vice versa. Um. But that division, I mean, when when this whole deal really started to to change, you know, I, I started to see it in about the '90s. Is when you started to, you know, it, there was a definitive line between okay, this is what we're going to do in, in comparison to to the breeding side. I think it's just human nature that you know it's no different than. I drive a Dodge or you drive a Chevrolet and, you know, or, or a football team or, you know, right. you know, you know, go bucks or, you know, go, you know, it, it, it needs to stop. I mean, we're all passionate. We're all in the same deal. You know, like I said, I can, I can go on either side of the wall and, and sit down and carry a conversation, but, but you got to have an open mind and you got to carry that mutual respect for one another. And you know you kind of see that it's it's no it's not just sheep you see it in the hogs you see it in the cattle we brought up the wool breeds before I mean they they're the real redheaded stepchild out of the whole deal yeah you know and those kids are really you know case in point I mean Heidi Barkley in Pennsylvania I mean she was an intern at Schroer's I mean probably one of the smartest young women I know as far as livestock and I mean she's got border leasters that can knock them dead at Louisville, plus her slick dorsets, plus, you know, she went down there with a, a weather dam goat one year and was knocking on the door. So I, we need more kids like Heidi, you know. She does, She don't care. She can get, you know, um, just have respect for one another, you know. I think, I think that's the biggest thing. We're, we're all in this together. We're all in it that, you know, Possibly make money, have a good time, show sheep, you know, and and like I said, it, it, with the judges is don't don't single trait things, you know, get get to know your other breeds, know breed type, you know, get to know your fleeces, you know. I'm not going to be around forever, and you know, if you wanted these kids at you know 19, 20, 21, if you want to do a lot of judging, learn this stuff. Get a hold of your Ron Waldrons. Maybe he can teach you a little something. Well, not just, but but like, and I made the point of of talking to these guys and learning. You know, right. like the guys like Tom Connor and people like that. And, and you know, okay, I'm gonna sort these wool breeds. I, I need to do my due diligence and learn and right. give them an honest shake on this thing. So um, that that's one thing that they're, that they're not learning is you know in these programs and stuff and it even goes back in the 4-h i mean there's 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 a mindset of what's supposed to happen at the county fair and you get some of the breeding sheep kids and they're just like oh my god they bet on straw and they got these blankets on Mm -hmm. don't do right no breeding sheep kids get they get the short end of the straw at county fair they they kind of do it and it's not fair that they're just as passionate about their project as these other kids are for sure and just 
Because some respect, it's no different than people. You know, I don't, I don't care what creed or color or you know what, what, whatever you're into, whatever you know, just treat me decent. I'm going to treat yeah, you. Yeah, you treat me right. I'm going to treat you right. It's a mutual respect thing. So, you know, that's that's one thing I I, I see going forward. Um, that I wish things could could get a little Cause, better. Because at the end of the day, we're we're still trying to do all this for the same reasons. One. You know, for the youth, we're trying to do it to teach them the characteristics of being a good human being. And at the end of the day, as an industry, I'm just going to say a livestock industry, we're still all against the same group of people that want to shut us down. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I kind of look at it as a family. We can bicker among each other, but then when... Something I do appreciate about the lifestyle. When somebody from the outside comes at us, we, we stand united and, and fight together. We can get ghetto in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's right. Just how it is. Yeah. But and I'll hopefully the younger demographic that's that's listening to this, and this is the biggest thing I'm sincere about, in the livestock industry, the friends that you make in this industry as a young child are going to last a lifetime. Now, I'm living proof of this. My dad died about seven years ago. About the fourth person that called me was a kid I showed Ayrshire's against at the time. I mean, we, we were at each other's throat as far as competitors. But he was the fourth person that called me. And, I mean, it, we probably hadn't talked in 20 years and said, hey, you know, we had a lot of laughs with your dad. I am so sorry. That's go there. If you're going to continue on this, my, my biggest thing to tell the young people, go there. Don't have an attitude. Make friends. Shake hands and smile. Open doors. Build your brand. Let people know who you are. 100%. And make friends. That, on, going on down the road... That's how you're going to build. And don't feed anybody a BS sandwich because it's a bitter taste and people don't like it. Well, the folks with the BS, uh, I think they're going to sort themselves out. Oh, they do. They do. But, you know, that's I, I, my biggest thing in, in, in the go back. It, there's not any kids going into animal agriculture. They, they age out and they're done. You know, there's a huge industry here. But, you know. Don't get wound into the trends. Don't don't think you need, you know, ninety thousand dollar dualies and thirty thousand. You know, I, case in point, it, I'm going to bring this up real quick because I know. But I've had a lot of great things happen in my life, and I've had a lot of lessons learned. And the biggest thing I want to never underestimate the underdog. Back when I had my brown Swiss, I, I put a string together, and I mean, I was burning up the roads. I went to the Spring National in Syracuse, had a hell of a day. I mean, I was hitting some major shows. We got to our state show in Connecticut, got my string. I mean, I got my bed just perfect. Everything is spot on. I mean, I, I had the nines. Taj Mahal. Seen this old boy rode in. In this old international lodestar, probably about a 78 gas job, this thing could hardly run. I mean, it couldn't pull a sick hen off the nest. I mean, just junk. 
had duct tape holding the fender on, wooden cattle box on there. This old boy jumps out, had the, the green dicky work pants, the green dicky shirt on, this old cap on, kicks open the wooden gate on the back, started bringing the cows on. They got shit balls on them. I mean, they they looked, and I paid no never mind to him. None. This is going to be a walk in the park. That was the worst ass kicking I ever took in the show ring in my life. And I never forgot that because I underestimated the underdog. I didn't never saw this coming. And I had the utmost respect for that man from that day forward. We became fantastic friends. And I knew from the first class. I mean, we went in there. There he was backwards. We start with the younger classes first. I mean, we rolled in, had this burner of a march calf in there. And he come and I was like, oh, this is going to hurt. And it <laughs> did. And then he brought the cows in, and I was just like, and I mutual respect for that man. And and so just because somebody doesn't come in all big and flashy, don't ever underestimate them. The other thing, too, don't go think you got to travel a 1,000 miles to find a good one, where the, the good one could be right next door. Do it a family deal. Get get in your car and drive around. Go look. Talk to people. Build your brand. You know, that that's all part of it, building a brand, talking to people, get to know. You know, they may not have the one for the piece of the puzzle at that time, but down the road, remember what you saw and say, you know what? Kind of lacking this. I, I, I need that little bit of forward rib shape in my sheep. By God, he had that in his group. I'm going to go down and see if I can buy a buck off it. And so that keep an open mind, build your brand. Don't ever underestimate the underdog. You know, they may not roll in there big and fancy, but they could take a big old bite out of that pie. The end of the day, the judge isn't out there judging trucks and trailers. No, no. And the other thing too, you know, we, we did okay at Louisville this year and it, you know, we kind of knew that the cards were kind of stacked against us a little bit, but people need to understand if you're in a, Selling sheep, okay? You're not selling sheep to that honky in the middle of the ring. <laughs> you're, you're selling sheep to everybody standing ringside, and even now that are sitting at home watching on their phone and stuff. Those are the people that you got to impress. It, and you might not have the flavor to the day there, but by God, I guarantee you there's somebody in the crowd that's going to say, hey, I like what the, this what this guy's doing or this woman's doing here. I, I liked her type of sheep, you know, and, and one of the goals that me and my wife set up when we started this deal is whether people liked them or not, when we rolled into town, cut the ear tags out, take the stall cards down, when we walked into a ring, not even have us on there, that's an E-star sheep. And and I would say that you guys have done that. We, we wanted you, to, you've done that. that stamp. Yep. Yep. You know, wh- whether you like them or not, I don't care. This is this is what gets my rocks off when I go to the barn. And, right. and I know there's going to be one or two people that feel the same. Yeah, they're going to damn sure be appreciated. Yeah. So I mean, it's at the end of the day. You know, there is a division between market lambs and and breeding sheep, but we need to work maybe better on both sides of, of breaking that division. Well, and, and I think so. And support one another. And it's a simple handshake and smile. Yeah. Go, go, go watch, you know, just 
just this last year in Louisville with the one kid that had a breeding sheep. Went down there, South Downs, never should have sat down in my life, but there was 10 people in the way that just to the ringside that I caught up with on the way back because, hey, we're, we're, we're buddies of past and yeah. just stop and talk. Like there, there's nothing wrong with that because at the end of the day, those kids might grow up and have kids that want to show the market lambs or my kids might decide they want to show the breeding sheep. Well, then the connection, the in is there yeah. already. You don't have to go out and find it. Don't don't slam doors. I don't know anything. Anything in life. Anything I've learned that a long time ago. Anything in life. Don't ever slam a door. Don't don't ever look down on. Don't look down on somebody. You, you don't know the circumstances. You, right. you you just don't know. They they may not have the bank. They may not have the facilities. But if they're out there trying the best that they can, applaud them. Pat them on the back. Oh, and I think that's the biggest thing, you know, that I noticed between the, the, the breeding and, and the weather side. It's just, there used to be a camaraderie there, but it's just, it, put the separation, get along. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that uh kind of discussed with Andy and Matt a little bit with was, uh it used to be sheep in general, if it was market or breeding, was all generational. It was all generational. Whoever dominated the breeding, it's still kind of that way now. Uh, the market lamb thing was strictly generational. One family led the way. Uh, there's been some, you know, I, I don't know the correct term for it, but with the jocks, that has changed where the people that can come from any walk of life get connected to the right person and can be right there. So it's a it's a it's changed a little bit the two spectrums, but I agree with you a hundred percent. Just keep those doors open, you know. You hit the nail on the head. Surround yourself by good people. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, like I said, I'm I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I've had phenomenal mentors in my life, and and that's what's got me to where I am today. Is in in shut up and listen. That was the top advice that I took. I didn't not shutting up right now, but that was the top advice I took from the yeah from the Tennessee trip was shut up and listen. Yeah, and and the other thing is, and it's changed, and it used to be. I know when you get to the show, this is little little R W's words of wisdom. <laughs> I learned this a long time ago. When you get to the show, you show, and everybody's worried about the after party. Okay. The guys I learned from was the morning. And the thing, I'll tell you this right now, okay? Bullshit is spilled over a can of beer, but secrets are told over a cup of coffee. And you go to them guys, like, and and I did. I got up in the morning, and a lot of people on, on the market side, they may or may not know these names, but I made sure I was in the barn at 530 in the morning and was having a cup of coffee with guys like Mike Nelsch, who just celebrated his fourth Supreme Champion at Louisville on four different breeds. Guys like my father-in-law, women like Judy Moore. You know, they also they used to call it the good old boys club, and they'd sit around there and drink coffee and stuff. But that's where the little secrets would come out. Yep. So believe me, I've been involved in 
more after parties than I will care to, to talk about. But get to know those people that have been there, done that. Go in there in the morning and just, just talk and listen. And, and you'd be amazed on how much you can learn. It, any species. Any species. Great. Words of wisdom ring true. Well, Ron, we're going to be wrapping this one up here. We're running on about two hours here. Do you have any advice for anybody in the agricultural community? Anything in the agriculture, stay true to yourself and don't suck. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. Don't suck.